0: Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Did anybody else feel like 2018 kind of jumped out of the closet and scared you? Like you weren't ready for it at all? Anybody with me there? I kind of woke up on January 1st and I was like, dang it, I really wanted to make Tony Robbins proud this year, but I have... All of the sudden, realized I have no goals. I have no vision. I have no things to quote every morning. I didn't write anything on an undershirt. I don't have any whiteboard pens written on my mirror. It's another year that just snuck up on me, and I am not prepared. Right? Anybody else? Right, don't you feel just an enormous amount of pressure to be prepared for the new year? Like this is when you're supposed to have all these goals written out that you have fought through. I don't know when you're supposed to have time to actually think through those things. But somehow, January 1st, you're supposed to have like all your, everything you're going to achieve for the entire year is supposed to be nailed. You're supposed to be able to articulate it. It should be a smart goal, right? Do you guys, anybody learn about smart goals? Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic tangible, right? I mean, it needs to all of these think you it's like you know that you should have a plan and we a lot of times fake it, right? Have you ever been asked, "And what are your goals for 2018?" and you make them up in that conversation? Right? I mean, because we feel a pressure to have something new that we're running after in a new year. It's a it's like a human condition. And because new feels like it has momentum, doesn't it? Like new feels way better than old. You get a new pair of running shoes. What are you motivated to do? Run, right? Motivated, man. You wake up in the morning, you have you maybe have never woken up and said, "What a great day for a run, except the day after you purchase new running shoes. right? kind of lasts for a week, then you realize running is stupid and then you don't ever run again, right? But new creates momentum. You ever get a new bike? What do you want to do? You want to go ride your bike, right? I got a bike for Christmas. Thank you, babe. And uh, I literally was like, "Ah, I'm I'm in the mood for a bike ride. I haven't said that since I was like nine. But I like walking to the garage, I'm like, what a great day for a bike ride. Kids, let's go on a bike ride. Right? Why? Because new equals momentum. New feels like it has traction. Right? New car, all your friends are getting together, you have a new car. Who offers the drive? The person with the old car? No. Person with the new car? Why? Because new equals momentum. This is what New things do. So this is why we feel pressure in the new year to create a new you, right? Have you heard that phrase? It's been around like since the first year. I'm sure like year two, some guy was standing up in some church and was like, it's a new you in year two. Right? I mean, this phrase is like nailed into our psyche. Like in the new year, we're going to create a new you it's it's woven in because we we have this deep desire to change like we really want to change and so we think okay new equals momentum new year I feel momentum this is going to be the year that everything is different than last year and and so you you feel more pressure sometimes than we have clarity And, and you're like man I really want this year to be better I don't know how I just want it to be better And you might be able to quantify, like, man, I want my marriage to be better. I I want my relationships with people to be better. I want to seek Jesus this year better. Maybe you have some addictions you really want to conquer this year. And And so you have these ideas of transformation, things that you really hope would change, things you really long to get better. But the truth is, is that it's really hard to go from January to February. Right, it's like February 1st is a reminder of the failures of January 1st. And so I've kind of, it's just, like, why do we wander so easily? Like, why do we drift? I mean, if you think about new equaling momentum, it's really focus. The the things you focus on have traction. The, The things that you are excited about you look at and you want to be about them right you you see I'm excited about my new bike and so I think about my new bike therefore I want to ride my new bike right and really that momentum that we feel in new is really just the momentum of focus we see this even like uh, one of my favorite things is like if you do experience getting a new car and you're so fired up about it what happens when you go drive that car you see every other car that's exactly like your car. It's because new creates focus. You're, you're focused upon the new thing, and that focus creates momentum. But there was a song written like in the 1700s called, Oh, Come Thou Found. You guys know this worship song? Oh, come. Well, I'm not going to do that. So, not a singer. Liz is, though. You should ask her to sing. She's amazing. Amazing singer. So that song has a line in it that absolutely nails the human condition. The line in that song that was written, like, literally in 1757 by a dude named Robert Robertson. What a name. Robert Robertson. The line is this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to wander lord i feel it that line was birth out of psalms 19 verse 10 where you have david echoing this same idea with he says this with my whole heart i sought you oh let me not wander from your commands A- and then when you read that, you, you kind of hear Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament in Romans kind of starts to ring in your ears. Romans seven nineteen, where he says, for I do not do the good I want to do. But I do the evil I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. The human heart wanders from what we want. The human heart wanders. It drifts. It it loses focus. I would love to tell you that I'm a good driver. I really would. I would love to look you in the face and be like, I'm a great driver. It's not a risk to ride with me, okay? Just if I get a new car, don't let me drive, okay? Like, and here's the deal. It's because I wander. I wander in my mind, And maybe this is just me, but maybe a few of you can relate to this. You're heading to a new place, and you don't remember when you lost focus, when you lost where you were going, but all of a sudden you come to, and you're at the stoplight by your house, and you weren't even trying to go near your house. Has this happened to anybody? And you're like, how did I get here? Did I kill anybody on the way here? Am I dead now? Because I wasn't going here, but I got distracted somehow. My mind began to wander, and in my wandering, my rhythm took over. And so I started wandering in my mind, and the rhythm, what I normally do on this road, took over. And so now... I'm like, on autopilot, I don't even know I'm on autopilot, and I come to, and I'm like, wow, I didn't want to go here. I wasn't trying to go here. That only happens when you try to go to a new place. It doesn't happen when you're going to an old place, because we know how to get to an old place. We can autopilot our way to an old place. That only happens when we're trying to get to a new place, and that happens because we wander. We drift. So... So, so how do we fight this human bend to wonder? How do we deal with the fact that we get distracted sometimes from the very desires of our hearts? When, when the new things stop being shiny and start feeling normal. And I want to I wanna leave you with a phrase here. If you're a note taker, I, I love you more than other people. And you're more valued in the kingdom of God. And so for all of you righteous people, right on the top of your page, everyone all of a sudden is grabbing a pen. You see, that's called spiritual pressure. Right on the top of your page, don't wander, wonder. Don't wander, wonder. I think that God wants to give us a tool to fight our desire to drift and wander as he increases our wonder. If you have a Bible, jump with me to Exodus 14. We're going to dive into a story that's in motion in Exodus 14. We're going to launch into the middle of this incredible story of the people of Israel literally being freed from over 400 years of slavery and captivity. Now, they were not enjoying their time as slaves. They were worked almost to the death. They did not think every morning, I'm thriving. I love this. No, they longed for freedom. They called out to God. The Bible says that God heard their cry, and he, ro- he raised up a man named Moses, and Moses goes to let his people go, right? He tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Go And so he goes and meets with Pharaoh. I'm fast-forwarding through a lot of the story here, but track with me. He goes and meets with Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. So then God launches a series of plagues. Every time he said no, Moses would be like, bummer, bro. There's a lot of locusts about to show up. Let my people go. Pharaoh says no again. He's like, bummer, dude. Frogs everywhere. Let my people go. Oh, bummer. Okay, see that river? Blood. Let my people go. No, I'm not going to do it. Okay, all your cows are going to die. you can be eating tofu. I thought that was funny. That would have motivated me. I'd be like, have them, take them. <laughs> I'm a beef eater. So here's the deal. Why does this matter? Like what? Why is that important? Why, why do you think that happened? Well, I think it happened because they were going to be faced with some in, in unbelievable obstacles moving forward. And they needed to see that God was going to demonstrate supernatural power on their behalf and do things that were unheard of and unimaginable on their behalf to see their freedom come to pass. And so there was incredible plagues that would happen, demonstrations of the power of God beyond human comprehension. It was crazy. And eventually, after the last plague, which is is known as kind of the, the angel of darkness or the angel of death or the Passover, and it was this horrific thing where basically Moses said, look, if you do not let the people go, God is going to literally come. And if every house that doesn't have blood wiped on the doorpost." That firstborn child is going to die. And Pharaoh's like, no. The unthinkable happens. All those that had blood on their doorposts were passed over. I'm not preaching about that, but yo, that'll preach. And Pharaoh says, all right, go, get out of here. Just take them. So this whole nation begins a exodus from Egypt into the Promised Land, the land that they had been promised, A- and this happens, and then we find ourselves in Exodus 14. So, is everybody caught up on the story? It's in flight; they're leaving. God has moved on their behalf, done extravagant things, and now we have the beginning of our passage starting in verse one. Then Moses, or excuse me. Then the Lord said to Moses. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp in, ready for this? Practice this one, Pi Harith Oath. <laughs> Say it with confidence, and they think that you studied it. Between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephron, and Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert and i will harden pharaoh's heart and i and he will pursue them but i will again glorify myself through pharaoh and all his army and the egyptians will know that i am the lord so the israelites did this how many of you think are thankful that we serve a god that will use your enemies to achieve his purposes Come on, somebody, that's good news. If you are thankful that God will even use the people who have ill will against you to advance his plan for you, give him a little bit of praise. Let him know right now you're thankful. Thank you, Liz. She grew up in a charismatic church. All you other people are sleeping. Let's try this again. All right, this is called a praise moment. This is when you're like, oh, this all this stuff I'm feeling, all this joy in my heart, I let it out. I express it. Okay? You don't hold it in. You ex- you ex- enjoy church. We're supposed to have more fun here than we're going to have it the entire week. It's supposed to be like the party of parties, right? So if you're thankful that God will even use your enemies, people that have ill will against you, to advance his plan for you, give him some praise. Now we're having church. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about what they had said and what they had done. We let the Israelites go, and we've lost their services. So he had this chariot made ready and took his army with him, and he took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all in all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Then the Egyptians and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they encamped by that really crazy place, opposite of that other place. And so Pharaoh approached the Israelites and looked up, and there was the Egyptians marching after them. Now, here's what I want us to really zero in on here, the back part of verse 10. They were terrified. This is the people of Israel. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? (laughs) What you have done for us, what have you done for us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we, this is awesome, listen to this. Didn't we tell you in Egypt to leave us alone? To let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in Egypt. The desert, the absurdity, they were in slavery, they were in captivity, they were being worked to the death, and now they're free, they're on their first walk free, nobody is over them, no one's telling them to wake up and work, they're just walking into the land that God had given to them, and then all of a sudden their past comes chasing them. And when your past comes and chases you, sometimes the very thing that you long to be freed from becomes attractive. And the only reason that happens is because we wander. The only definition of how in the world they would come to this conclusion after God had literally sent all of these plagues to demonstrate his power and supremacy and his heart for them to be out of captivity, to in their first journey to lose sight of all that had been done and to begin to long for all that they had wanted out of. The only way to explain that is prone to wander. They were wandering. Their hearts were drifting. And and, and this is what wandering does for us. Wandering makes us forget that we're not supposed to be in bondage. Wandering makes us forget that we were created for freedom. We don't wander into the best. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed that you don't wander into the best decisions. If you're just walking aimlessly, that's what wandering means, to walk aimlessly. You don't wander into the best options. You don't wander into great investments. You don't wander into great decisions, right? You don't wander into great eating habits, Where do we drift? We drift into things that will kill us. Always. I've never heard any person who's achieved what they've been focused on, longed for, and said, Hey, how did you get there? They're like, I just wandered into it. I just wandered and then, bam, won a gold medal. I was just wandering. Oh, you've been so successful in business. What'd you do? <laughs> Nothing. Aimless walking. Just aimless. Just kind of walked around and was like, whoa, wow, great deal. No, that's not how it happens, right? It takes focus, it takes discipline. Because we don't drift into the best, we drift into the worst. Because when we wander, we long for the past, we don't expect the future. Just like when we're driving, when we wander, when we drift in our minds, the autopilot takes us to where we've been, not the new place we want to go. So we find ourselves literally longing for the very thing we longed to be freed from. All of a sudden, the addiction that we hated for 25 years becomes attractive again because we lost our wonder and we dove into wondering. Wandering. I know it's going to do it once. Amanda gave me this look. I get one free pass. We drift into the things that we hated. I want to look at how Moses responded because he demonstrates for us what it looks like for our heart and the temptation of our past chasing us to not begin to wander around and aimlessly look for what used to feel comfortable, but to stay focused on where we're called to go, the new thing that God has for us. It says this in verse 13, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Can you see the difference in living in wonder versus wonder? When we wonder in the glory of all God has done and all that he's going to do, the temptation to drift and the pressure of our past chasing us gets crushed in light of the glory and the grace of the living God. Moses declares over the people the character of God. Stand firm. Your deliverance is here. All your enemies you're seeing right now you'll never see again. Check this out. He will fight for you. You need only to be still. You don't even have to do anything. All you have to do is not wander. God's going to do the fighting. Just see, there's a little bit of praise right there. That, that's what I'm talking about. I don't know you, but I love you. So look, here's the deal. Look, if we wonder on the glory and the majesty of God, the temptation to wander gets crushed. It gets absolutely destroyed. Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you've done. The, the things that you've planned for us, none can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many for me to declare. I think that we sometimes forgot, we forget to declare all that God has done. And when we forget to declare all that God has done, our hearts begin to drift. Because if you forget what God has done, when you see your past chasing you, you're tempted to believe that it's your destiny. But it's not your destiny. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Just don't wander. Wonder. I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's a few people that are experiencing some freedom because your heart has drifted. You have started to wonder and wander if God is with you. And God's saying, look, don't wonder if I'm with you. Wander at me. I got it wrong. But you're feeling me, right? Someone give me some praise. Can we edit that, Mike? Can we edit that? Thank you. Thank you. I want to give us two ideas that we can use as weapons to fight wandering, to not wander but to wonder. Two key ideas. First thought is this. Our level of worship will determine our level of wonder. Our level of worship will determine Our level of wonder. I've never had a wonder problem and also not had a worship problem. I've never been lost in worshiping the living God, declaring who He is, the truth of Jesus. I've never wondered at the cross and seeing the beauty of his majesty and the sacrifice that he gave so that I might stand with confidence in the throne room of grace. I've never wondered about that and wandered in my heart. Your level of worship is connected to your level of wonder. Second thought is this. Your truth intake will determine what your heart can take. Your truth intake will determine what your heart can take. I think sometimes we fill our minds with good thought, people who are moral people, self-help teachers. Those things can be beneficial, but they're not truth. We get distracted from the things that will hold us in storms by the clever humanistic thoughts of today your truth intake will determine what your heart can take we shouldn't be surprised if we feel crushed by the storm when we have no word of God in us if I'm reaching for the words of some human to hold me through the complexity of life I'm done I will wander But when I'm filling my mind with the truth of the Word of God, when this is my foundation, not other people's thoughts on this, this. Come on, somebody. We have a culture that is obsessed with what other people say the Bible says, and we don't know what the Bible says. Do not expect you're going to stand up in a storm if you don't have any truth in you. Your truth intake will determine what your heart can take. If you feel like you're overrun, if you feel like you're buried, you might have a truth intake problem. Because when the truth is in you, you're going to be able to stand up underneath anything that comes on top of you. Because your wonder will hold you from wandering. Your truth intake is going to determine what your heart can take. Don't find some clever saying. Don't find some cliche, something that the culture says is a good idea for 2018. Get a Bible verse that's going to be your rock and your foundation. So that when the temptations come to get some weird thought, the temptation comes to give up, to cash in where you're going new. Don't try to get some willpower, get some truth power. Get the truth of the word of God in you so that you can stand up underneath everything that's trying to crush you because the devil doesn't want you to win, but your God's going to fight for you. You need only to be still. Just don't wander. If you are tired of wandering and you want to start wondering, can you stand up to your feet and let the worship level increase your wonder level and